Today's episode is sponsored by EditPods. EditPods provide full-service podcast editing that's all in one podcast editing without breaking the bank. Now, one of the biggest problems that I have when running this podcast is the time it takes to edit, clip, upload, and post my podcast in all of the right places with some new artwork, links, descriptions, and all of the jazz that comes along with it. Now, what EditPods do is help podcasters skip all the hassle and focus directly on making the best show possible, freeing our minds to help hone the craft instead of spending time writing copy and doing transcripts and finding links, all of these time-consuming activities. So EditPods work with podcasters that want to focus their time on areas of excellence and take the rest off their plate. If that sounds good to you, you can use the coupon code CHATTER to get $30 off basic or plus or $50 off a premium for the first month. That's CHATTER, C-H-A-T-T-E-R, for $30 or $50 off your first month at EditPods. Make podcasting fun again. At, at some point, I have to just be like, look, all the evidence is here. Like, shut the fuck up with these stupid debates as if there's like anything to debate on, on these issues at this point. It's like, yeah, it's, it seems like it's um, pretty clear by now, doesn't like, it? Like fuckery, lying, and corruption happened. Like, stop pretending like it didn't. Like, it's not like okay. it's a secret. And do we need to be shocked? You know, like this wasn't uh, the first time that all of that, as you as you succinctly put it, you know, the fuckery, lying, and corruption is not new. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It doesn't shock me. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, mean, you've seen, I'm sure you've seen that meme where it's, it's along the lines of like, um, you either know history or trust your government. You can't have both. <laughs> Yeah, basically. I mean, yeah. I used to I used to have like far more trust in in the government until like about two years ago. It's I mean, funny something must have happened about two years ago because that seems to be a very common yeah. a common feeling among a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, my my trust of them had been r- rapidly deteriorating as a as I learned things about them <laughs> from like eighteen <laughs> to yeah twenty twenty five twenty six. Brexit had definitely accelerated that, like not so much the uh-huh. the vote itself, but just the way it was handled by the politicians. And then, yeah, yeah COVID just made me realise that, like, even in times of you know apparent grave emergency, like they're just ready to line their pockets. Like it's 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 quite uh-huh. stunning. I mean, that anyone actually believes they they care, but anyway. Look, so yeah, um, that classic idea of uh, you don't let a good crisis go to waste, right? I yeah, think there's a bit of that, isn't there? But anyway, so um, hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I'm here with Paul from Critical Sway. Paul, um, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks so much. Great to be here. No problem. So um, yeah, so I came across your you on on Twitter for the first time um, and was intrigued immediately by your Twitter bio. Uh, the government paid me to influence people and uncover secrets. Uh, I do the same thing now, but I work for you. So do you want to explain to people um, as much as you can, perhaps, about your background and, and then why you decided to start uh, to start your site? Yeah, sure. Um, it's uh, First, I'll say, I mean, obviously, my bio worked if it grabbed you and you kept reading, so I'm happy about that. Um, <laughs> the um, I say this to people all the time, you know, if you want to... If you want to have a really interesting career with fantastic experiences and great training, but a really empty, you know, resume or CV, the covert um, intelligence world is a great place to do it. So, um, look, I'll say what I can say about what I've done before, and I'll, I'll leave out a few specific details. But so I've worked in um, the investigation side of um, 
the criminal sort of investigation world and I've also worked um, as an intelligence operative. So they're kind of overlapping skills, but they're different jobs. Um, so I've worked on serious and organised crime investigations. Um, a lot of that sort of centred around money laundering. So that's kind of a flavour that uh, transfers into all of my work now, I suppose. And then um, I also uh, worked in the background in the, in the covert intelligence space. And what I can say about that is really my job was um, one of, um, you know, influence and persuasion was a large part of what it was. And it was really talking to people and just understanding in the background what's going on on a lot of big issues, uh, you know, related to the criminal intelligence and the law enforcement kind of world. So um, for obvious reasons, I can't say exactly who I worked for or where I did it. And like I said, I've got a pretty empty resume, <laughs> but um, that's where I sort of picked up the skills that I'm hoping to transfer over now. And Critical Sway is a new project for me. It's, um, you know, I was frustrated by what I saw as like a real um, complacency amongst a lot of people, you know, the general public about what's going on in the world or, also a lack of understanding of, you know, what are the power structures that really influence um, what's happening in the day-to-day world for people? Um, and I thought Matt, perhaps I can bring the skills that I've had in, you know, from my past life and bring it into this and work on some independent journalism and Critical Sway is sort of like my toe into the water in that world. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's really cool. And and I, yeah, I, I like the way that you've put it. It's just that, I think I think it's a lot of people just aren't, or maybe naive enough, or not even naive because that makes them sound like stupid. But there's just like the the real the people with the real levers on or the real hands on the levers of power are often very obscured, and um, where ideas and decisions come from is often sort of very unclear, especially unless you're really willing to go look for it and the press are not willing to go look for it or they're very happy to until the point where it, you know, suddenly becomes inconvenient for the owner of whatever paper they're working for. Like, say if you have one of the richest yeah. men on the planet owning uh, one of the oldest newspapers <laughs> or if you example. had the the, the, the the actual richest man on the planet buying um, one of the biggest platforms in the world i don't know how twitter is going to go i'm really curious it's i'm really on the fence about this you know there are a lot of um you know like i i'm involved in the bitcoin community and like a you know i like all that sort of stuff i think there's a real future in that but you know those guys are really vocal about the importance of decentralization and you know um at the same time there was this real celebration from a lot of the guys about um you know elon making a move on twitter and i thought is that I don't know. That's now now one man owns it. Is this necessarily like an improvement? I understand that the message right now is good, but you're really concentrating power in into a very small circle, and I'm not sure. I, I'm interested. I'm I'm on the fence. I don't know how it's going to play out. Mm. I mean, if he does all the things he says he's going to do, I'd be very pleased. But that's yeah. rarely how these things go. <laughs> so really, really, yeah. And you know, even on that on that vibe, like even if he does do all the things he says he's going to do. The trouble is, like, you concentrate all of that power in one place, eventually someone else will have that power. You know, like, even if the person who's got it now is a saint, uh, what happens when it gets handed on to the next person? I think that's that's where that whole centralisation thing is a big issue, right? 
Mm. Yeah, that's where it becomes like really, really um, dangerous. I think, and it's just that. And this is this is what I think I keep saying to people who are like, "Yeah, give the government more power." Like, I trust the government. It's like you tr- like even if even if I'm like what, but any anyway, even if I'm like okay, but you trust this government, like you trust these guys. Yeah, it's like exactly. Eventually, they're not going to be the ones standing there, and it may very well be as as pendulums and um sort of yeah the left and right thing swings through through countries because it does you know one party says they've got the ideas and then everyone goes oh yeah fuck those other guys and then when the other guys fuck up and goes oh well how did we ever trust those guys these other guys they're the ones Um, like it just swings back and forth and eventually it's going to be someone that you don't want in power and then yeah then they've got their hands all over like the these yeah ways of manipulating controlling things that you just perhaps never imagined could be put to to the use of someone that you ideologically don't agree with and all of a sudden you sat there wondering how you got here so uh, you know there's there's some value in this idea josh because if um if you can if you convince people that that like concentration of um you know power or authority on one place is a problem regardless of who has it, then it, it's a much easier debate to have with people. You know, like I've used, I spoke to someone recently and I used this this Bill Gates influence over the World Health Organization. I said, if you talk to the average person walking down the street, and I'll leave my personal opinion of Bill Gates out of this for a second, right? But just talk to the average person walking down the street. This, this guy's like a computer geek, super rich. He's a philanthropist, you know, he's built this massive company and, um, now he wants to spend some money on helping develop uh, vaccination programs or health programs for people around the world. And often the message is about, you know, equity or and quality and, you know, people that wouldn't have it otherwise and all that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. If you start talking to that person it, from a, um, you know, point of view of trying to convince them that maybe that's it's not as wholesome as it might be presented, that's a, a long way from the reality as they already perceive it right now. But if you talk to them from the point of view of like, hey, all right, let's just start with this. Any one person with that much influence, that's a problem because then one person only has to be corrupted or one person only has to pass that power on to one more person who's not the saint that this figure purports to be and we've got a huge problem. So it's like that's actually maybe an easier argument to make a lot of the time, I think. Yeah, quite possibly. It's like um, <laughs> it's like in in the film Gladiator, where Marcus Aurelius is this wonderful, wonderful emperor. And in real life, where he was actually a wonderful, wonderful um, emperor of Rome, smart man, brilliant man. And then his son is an absolute tyrant who then takes over those, yeah, takes control of Rome. And, and the film apparently does like a really poor job of displaying just how evil and awful his son was. Um, right, which, right. which says something given um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's uh, character is not possibly the nicest villain right, in, in the right. history of cinema. So, and and this is exactly what happens. Like you get everything can be wonderful when you have like a, a just leader, and then as soon as it's um, as soon as someone who doesn't have the the same restraint or maybe moral philosophy comes into power, you just you you're you're at the you're at their mercy. So yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So before we get to Bill Gates, I wanted to start with the 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 story about uh, JBS, these Brazilian butchers, because I was really interested by this because I'm about ninety nine percent sure they own Moy Park, which is one of the biggest like um, poultry farms yeah, in in, yeah. in Northern yeah. Ireland, um, which is yeah, yeah where I'm from. So um, yeah. So basically, uh, yeah, you've called it corruption, cars, kickbacks, and cheap credit. Like, do you want to do you want to run through the story a little bit? Yeah, so like um, high level. So let me go back, and I, I don't have the dates in front of me, so I'll do my best. But um, I've got the we're thread talking, here, so I'll try and keep you right. So I think um, Dad kicked this business off, you know, um, uh, early mid fifties, and maybe it might be nineteen fifty three, something like that. A, a, a Brazilian man uh, starts this business, uh, meat processing facility, a small abattoir. You know, can do a few head of cattle a day, and. From there, you know, this business grows and grows. And eventually, if we fast forward a bit to the interesting part of the story, he hands control of the business over to his two sons. Um, now, these two sons, um, brothers, at this point, uh, you know, current day, these guys are billionaires. Like They're very wealthy, right? They have a very um, aggressive agenda to expand this business and buy up more meat processing, more food processing, more food production, um, around the world, and it, it ultimately fast forward and it turns into an absolute behemoth. The problem comes in where um, the brothers' strategy for obtaining finance is uh, a little bit interesting. Um, basically, they've used some corrupt dealings and some kickbacks um, amongst like a large number of Brazilian politicians to get their hands on some really cheap finance. Uh, and then using that cheap finance, they've gone then out into the broader world and acquired a lot of other existing really large companies. And I think the real um, step change in it is when they buy a company called Swift from the US. Um, Swift is huge. Swift owns um, their own business in the US, but then they also own subsidiary uh, companies all around the world. Um, And so by virtue of this takeover that JBS make of Swift, they then... um, essentially inherit all of these other businesses as well. You get a huge amount of the food processing um, in Australia, obviously in the US, they're huge in Brazil, and it just spreads out across the world. Um, Ultimately, eventually, this all comes out in an investigation um, by Brazilian authorities that all of the loans that finance this massive aggressive expansion were quite shaky in the first place. And in fact, one of the two brothers who runs the company has admitted in interviews with Brazilian um, investigators that actually none of this expansion could have been possible without um, access to this corrupt financing that they managed to get their hands on. Um, so that's kind of the the um, origin story of, of the business. Um, notwithstanding the fact that this has all come out um, and the brothers have been to different uh, extents prosecuted for their involvement in these things, right? Um, They've seen the writing on the wall. They've done some deals with um, Brazilian prosecutors, which is by no means unusual. That sort of thing happens. Um, But basically, they've agreed to give up a few other people and to cooperate with authorities to quite an extent in return for some very lenient sentencing, which is my understanding of what's occurred. The thing that really grabbed me about this story is when you look at global food supply chains, they are um, extremely concentrated. And like I've banged this drum already today about like the dangers of um, centralisation, which is like a real key theme in the things that I write about. Um, but, you know, these guys are like 
the biggest meat producer in the world. Um, they have a massive amount of their food supply cornered and the whole empire is kind of built on this really shaky moral foundation of these dodgy loans. And if you go searching on the internet, I won't go down this whole rabbit hole, but there is all sorts of shady dealing that seems to be reasonably reliably linked to JBS. So I guess the first half of that story was, um, you know, that, that origin story about how um, shaky it was you know the building of the whole thing like what's the what's the the um moral underpinning of this whole com company that's feeding so many people and it's in control of so much of our food supply um but i actually think the centralization thing is the bigger threat as a as i wrote that thread um let me pause there and I'll, I'll let you jump in yeah i just wanted to um clarify like uh, put a few figures on of things that you'd said here so um mm. You mentioned that they paid like a small fine, <laughs> or they paid a fine at least. Uh, just just um, three point two billion dollars. Yeah, um, just the lazy three billion. Yeah, yeah, just as as you do. Um, and they helped. They says that yeah, they they obtained secret recordings of the Brazilian president of part of their like plea deal. Uh, yes, there, there are like hundreds of recordings uh, and hundreds of uh, involved politicians in this whole thing. And yeah. part of their kind of like their their side of the story is like, oh, you know, this is business as usual at, at this point in time in Brazil. Like this is just how this is how things went. Like you had to grease a few palms in order to get anything done. And they, they kind of uh, minimise their badness in that way. Yeah, they bribed, apparently, they, a, a JBS executive admitted, I, I say apparently, I'm reading off your thread. Um, oh, <laughs> it says <laughs> apparently uh, according to me. Yeah, apparently according to you. But, I mean, you have sources, I've looked. Of um, course. So, yeah, it says they admitted to bribing 1,829 politicians, 1,829 politicians. And the bribes alone added up to over $175 million. Um, so they must have been working if they're willing to put that much money into it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it. But it's just like huge figures. Like you just imagine that like, yeah, you, you imagine there's some level of corruption, but then like there's also just getting into the way they've acquired this credit through these bribes. It's like they wouldn't be this big if they hadn't been exactly. had the access to that, that cheap credit. And then right. they, they wouldn't have been able to, like, yeah, they wouldn't have been able to expand the way they did. And then you would have been just, yeah. It, and they just, oh, you pay this fine on the monstrous profits you made. But no one's ever going to, like, deal with the fact that you shouldn't exist as a firm if you hadn't had right, access exactly. to, like, illegal levels of credit. And it just reminds me of the of the, 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 aud the audacity that is, like, coming to light amongst, like, the financial institutions in America where they're all just like one by one, like slowly like admitting in plain sight that infinite liquidity exists and that they just have yeah. access to a whole the money that they want. And it's like, hang on, wait, what? Like, but yeah, uh, but <laughs> forgive me if I'm not perfect. If there's an economist listening, they might, they might hate me for this, but my understanding is like that the, um, so fractional reserve, like the amount, the amount of assets that a U.S. bank has to actually hold versus the amount they've got, um, out on out on the street, so to speak, is zero percent right now. Like around the start of start of COVID, they they just removed the level. Mm -hmm. Like a, so, then you've got the money printing that happens, you know, at like a treasury central bank level, but then it's multiplied, however many times, you know, once it gets to uh, commercial bank level. 
Yeah. But they also have access to like trillions in credit, just like endless amounts of money in credit that they can just demand that um that the Fed just, just give them, basically. They, they they will just give them like like I said, infinite liquidity. And like this is Incredible. it's like it's like something that was never spoken out loud and it's starting to come a little bit to light. But again, people just ignore it. There's your infinite liquidity. What's that? It's just like they have all the money that they want. And they will devalue your currency as much as they fancy while they spend it. Like, it's, yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, have you heard of this term, the, the Cantillon effect, Josh? Do you know what this is? Um, I haven't, no, actually. So the, the basic idea, I'll butcher this a little bit. I, I always joke that I'm a high school dropout. So if I've managed to understand it, it's going to be in a very simple way. But uh, essentially what happens is, so say a, um, say a central bank creates a large amount of new money. Eventually, as it goes through the economy, it's reasonable to say that that devalues the money that's that's in the uh, economy now, you know, on a per unit basis. Like the value of $1 is worth less than it was before because we've, we've like diluted the money supply, right? But that doesn't happen straight away. So the people who are closest to the spigot of the new money, right, whoever's closest to the tap, they get to spend it before the inflation uh, the, the price inflation happens down the track for the average human, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's where, that's one of the massive issues with this, like, um, you, you know, it, massive monetary inflation that we've seen is that, like, the rich people or the very well-connected people and institutions that are closest to this new money that get their hands on it first get all the benefit of it and don't pay any of the bills, you know, and then the, and then the uh, fact that prices go up or the value of your house goes up or all those, you know, people who want to buy a house or want to buy a steak or a carton of eggs, you know, all those sorts of things as time goes on, they pay the price for it. So this whole like money printing thing and the, and the Cantillon effect that happens around it just sort of disproportionately benefits those who are already wealthy and harms those who are not, if that makes sense. So that's like, a, that's one of the huge issues that comes with it. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with I'm familiar with this idea. I just didn't know the name of it. So it's the term, yeah. yeah um, so essentially, it's it's just it's the, I've I've spoken about this idea when when it comes to to the idea of quantitative easing that was going on before right. COVID, um, and when they attempted to taper off this like yeah flow of money um, in 2019, like the the economy nearly crashed. Like they were, yeah. it was, and no one knows that this happened. Like I had no idea. And I like to think I'm at least like relatively well informed. And I, I like right. just literally no idea that the economy had almost crashed in 2019 and they had to get these monstrous, again, like, like trillions of dollars um, in order to, to stay afloat. Um, but yeah, it's pretty wild. And and like you said, that the money goes straight in. So like what high quantitative easing would have been used is like in 2000, from 2000, 10 to 16-ish was to go in and buy assets at, at the top of the stock market and and then mm-hmm. as you said the the prices there get pumped up and then by the time that everything has yeah not trickled down i don't like that term but like by the time that uh-huh. anything has happened it's it's wait two years and then our spending power has diminished while the while the price right, of assets exactly. has been pumped up and it's just it's just like a form of wealth transfer it's 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 watching like the rich get richer and richer and richer and richer and richer while we all sit around twiddling our thumbs and and hoping that you know our uh our shit coins are gonna gonna moon so, so it, it's nefarious it's nefarious right because it, i mean the average person has no idea 
how that part of the financial system works. It's actually quite incredible mm-hmm. the, and the degree to which people are naive about money when you think that no adult gets to get up and go through their day and not deal with it. Like it's, it, infl- it, it, it impacts everyone, right? But uh, people have no idea how it works. But if you think about all the things that our governments are willing to throw money at and fund, and without doing a detailed list, I'm sure you can think of a few recent expensive ones, um, they'll never get away with it by overtly taxing the citizens. That won't work. People will kick up a fuss. They won't be happy about that. So instead what they'll do is they, they do this money printing scenario, which just sneakily steals the value out of your bank account without asking you, you know, because the, 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 the $10,000 that you've managed to save over the last 20 years of your life that are sitting there in your bank account doesn't buy as much stuff as it used to. So nominally you got the, you got the right amount there, but they stole all your value. Yeah. So it, 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 it is super nefarious. Yeah, it's really disturbing. So um, I, I like it reminds me of this video um, that I was actually going to share if I can figure out how to sh- share um, this for you. So um, it's uh, basically someone like displaying how to how to do corruption in broad daylight, like how to how to how to inside trade, like the uh, brilliant, like the senators from the U.S. government. So let me just see if I can make this share with you so that we can see and hilariously it's from fucking tiktok which i hate but i mean it's it's posted on reddit so it, it's fine it's not tiktok anymore when it's off tiktok right that's yeah you got it from reddit yeah, yeah that's cool <laughs> <laughs> um, so okay so can you see that uh, here we go yeah um, no i'm yeah let's see if this works okay the first thing I do is go to the House Representatives website and see what bills are meeting for within the next. Hang on, let me see. Can I share my audio with you? That would be absolutely wonderful. Uh, doesn't want to do that. Okay. Next few weeks, and right away I can see that on June 21st, the Committee on Appropriations is meeting to discuss a 2023 environmental bill. Next, I'm going to go check the lobbying data of stocks that have recently been lobbying for this. As you can see, 17 companies have spent money on it and likely have an interest in the outcome of this meeting. Next, I'm going to go get a list of the congressmen that are going to be attending this meeting. And with this information, I'm going to go find a stock that a congressman who was on this, this committee has bought recently. And that is on our list of companies that have been lobbying for this bill. And there you go. Lois Frankel bought shares of PPG Industries twice this year. And it seems that PPG has spent a quarter of a million dollars in April for various bills regarding environmental issues. And as a bonus, they already have a history of winning government contracts, which is always a good sign. So if you want to do this for yourself, check out my website, Corbaquan, where you can type in any stock and see what politicians bought it how much they spent on lobbying and their government contract history. Hope this helps. It's just, it's, it's obscene that it's that easy to see how corrupt they are and no one cares. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. That was someone actually showing you how to follow the money. You know, like there's a, yeah, everyone sprouts this, follow the money. That, that, that TikTok there, there it is in yeah, one that, minute. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's literally being like, so <laughs> here's, the, here's the money, follow it. And it, I, have it, not, <laughs> I have an idea. Yeah. yeah. So, um, to get back to JBS then, because um, we're talking right. about the dangers of centralization. So then, so then, what is the what is the moral of this story, and why is it important to understanding why decentralization of a food supply or any any industry is bad? Yeah, so let's go. Like the second part of that story, the origin obviously was all about this, you know, uh, corrupt nature by which they got to there. And then the second part of the story is like people like me and um, you know all of us crazy conspiracy theorists go, oh man, that's you know, you've concentrated a lot of like the food supply into one spot and what if it what if it ever became compromised you know 
Um, and that sounds crazy until you realise that not only has that happened to um, similar organisations in the past, it's happened to JBS and in recent history. Right? So um, early 2021, I think is the date if, off the top of my head if I'm right, 2021, they get hit by this um, cyber attack, right? Um, that basically grinds them to a halt. And you can think about, uh, you know, an abattoir, for example, where they're processing meat, but, but everything they do, like everyone else, is, you know, controlled by computer systems. And if their computer system has been held hostage, then basically their operations are on hold. There's stories about, like, trucks full of cattle that are on the way to be processed, you know, and this is like the meat at your supermarket, ultimately, that you're going to end up eating. They all just get turned around and sent back to the farm for a period of days. And... Um, the guys are basically held hostage to this ransom of um, we're not going to release your computer system unless you pay the money. Um, and so, you know, you just saw, it was just sort of like a little um, warning of how bad this could be if um, some sophisticated actor decided to hold a organisation like that hostage, then even if this, this sort of goes back to that thing of like even if the people who are in control of these centralised organisations are saints, it's still a really crucial bottleneck and a really massive weakness. Um, and so, like, long story short, um, JBS's computer system gets completely hijacked. They can't do anything. They can't process food. They can't pay staff. They can't – nothing's working, right? Nothing can go on. And then after a few days, um, they basically are left with no choice but to pay the ransom. Um, and JBS try and put a little bit of spin on it, and it's sort of along the lines of, like uh, – yeah, you know, we basically almost had everything back up and running, but we wanted to um, just make sure no other data was compromised or nothing else went wrong, so we paid the bill. <laughs> oh, it's a brilliant right. excuse, isn't it? <laughs> I can't look. I'm just going to call bullshit. I don't have evidence. I don't have evidence that could be true, but I'm just going to say no, I don't think so. I think the only reason you pay a eleven million dollar ransom is because you've got no choice. Uh, like it doesn't stand to reason any other way. So then I think you go, okay, well, let's say this this company, this one company owns like the biggest beef pork processing in the world. I think they're number one or two for pork and number one or two for chicken. Like it's huge. Mm. Um, and one, then what one if for you beef, just, one, one for beef, one for chicken and number two for pork, I think globally. There you go. Huge, huge. And then I think, uh, you know, I made the point in, in that thread when I posted it is like, you know, in this situation, the bad actor was motivated by money. So then enough money will fix it. And JBS, no drama's getting their hands on cash, right, as they've, as they've, um, they've well and truly proven, yeah. So they've got plenty of cash, $11 million paid in Bitcoin, done, all done, ransom paid, operations back online, all good. But what if money wasn't the motivation? What if that's, you know, the motivation is just to cripple the country or like to cripple the food supply? Like, you know, like what if this is part of, you know, quite deliberate modern warfare, you know, that could happen? Um, and what if, you know, I think it's something like 80% of the food supply in the US, the protein supply, so animal-based products in the US, something like 80% is controlled by four, com four companies. So what if someone decided to go for you know, a coordinated attack on two or three of them at once. And how quickly would that throw the, throw a country into chaos? So, you know, my, my real overriding message with the second half of that story was to say, um, you know, maybe we need to decentralise this a little bit because it's a bit of a problem. And morally, I don't have any big issue with breaking up JBS's um, 
monopoly over this thing. It's, you know, it's a stretch to call it a monopoly, but their grip on it, um, considering the way they got there, I think we could probably sell that. You know what I mean? That would pass the front, front page test. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's just, it's, it's stunning that these, these, these things go on and then just that like, no one, no one's concerned about about the the centralization. Like, a, I mean, a food like for, uh, people people, you know, witter on about centralization of money, which is a massive problem, obviously, right? But like, right. Yeah. no one. I think what I find interesting about about your site was that you were talking about about centralization as a problem just broadly across like the entire economy, which is isn't is yeah. rare as a like people don't often make that extrapolation, or maybe they do in their head, but never quite like specify it because everyone everyone sort of like it feels like the world is trending towards these like ever centralized more centralized systems and yeah the more i look into and and the more i understand about these these massive like international organizations like like the un um i've had like a un whistleblower on the show um Uh who, who is attempting to to expose like their complicity in giving um, names of dissidents and families of dissidents to to China, and and well, no one yeah. cares. And they sent they like they they I don't know if you watched Tim Pool's show. You know they keep getting swatted. Um, someone basically mm. did that to this this woman in the middle of like the only meeting in which she could raise these issues. Like the UN sent the police to her house. Like yeah, uh, like it was U, UN like UN security security officers or UN police or. I can't remember what the right. exact officers were. But yeah, they sent people to her house during the only meeting because they said she was an imminent Amazing. threat to herself or others, um, as far as I remember. But yeah, like people can check that out um, in the in my yeah back catalog. But um, I think if you if you had to boil it down, Josh, like that is the, that is the central theme of everything I'm writing about. You know, there's I think there's two things, right? I think there's misaligned incentives that drive really bad outcomes, and I think with that too much of the important things in the world have been concentrated and centralized to such a degree that it's really, really dangerous. Yeah. And I think if you applied that brush to every single thing I write and said, you'll see it. Yeah. It's like the food supply, the money supply, you know, the media, the information, like everything is just centralized, centralized, centralized. And and, and you, you mentioned a couple of times about like, um, you know, that people are completely unaware of it and, and they are. And I think we've got this like, I describe this as a dangerous mix that's somewhere between um, ignorance and complacency, you know, and 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 it's and it's probably caused by distraction. Mm-hmm. So we we we've got a world right. So like rewind the clock thirty years, there was news on the TV once a day, and there was a twenty four hour news cycle. Right? We don't have we got like a twenty second news cycle now. Like like it is constant, all the time, all the time, all the time. You are constantly entertained. And um, presented with new information, like at every every waking moment of your day, and then you get this situation where like people are completely overwhelmed, they don't know who to listen to, um, they they are distracted by shiny object, shiny object, shiny object all the time. Like if you you know, I find for me, you know, this might happen for you. You like you're a content producer, like you get stuck in trying to keep up with what's going on. Yeah. So you're not so you're not producing anything. You're just trying to keep up. You know, and you're mindful of that. So you just for the for the average person who's not thinking that way, it's so easy to get to just be led along by the nose. Yeah, it is, and you just you get 
like i mean it's it's not it's and i don't know if it's just because i'm like maybe like more aware that this is like definitely happening or if they've got more just like let's just do it and it's it's more blatant about it or something but like like when i even like when i look at the the disparity between the coverage of um Ghislaine Maxwell's trial and um, <laughs> the Amber Heard Johnny Depp one yeah. it was just mind blowing like because like yeah. okay you'd expect like levels of secrecy at a trial that's got such sensitive topics like, like there's you know mm-hmm. sex trafficking and a lot of victims especially ones that would have been underage at the time and like you can understand yeah. like certain levels of, of secrecy or like maybe some amount of like restriction of like the coverage of it but like Blanket nothing. Like Ghislaine Maxwell's Crazy. trial tracker on on bit Twitter, like banned. And yeah. And the client list doesn't exist. Like Yeah, where is that? Yeah. And, we should and, know every name. Yeah. We should know every fucking name. And like unless they're all 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 of them currently being investigated. Like right this second and the police have like imminent new numbers of arrests of the most powerful people in the world. It's like I don't think so. Yeah, like, like, yeah, because yeah. that would and, be the only like, justification we, for like keeping them all. And they secret. all already know. They all already know their names in the book, right? <laughs> they know. Yes. So with those guys, you know, like like the cat's out of the bag in that sense. So what? So why hold back the information? And I've wondered about this, like, right? Is it so? If I run a news organization, my motivation is to keep people watching the screen, right? So say I've got a TV news network, right? I want to keep eyeballs on the screen. So in one sense. What's driving it is what what are people interested to see? And I'll service that. Like that's one motivation. But then is it as simple and pure as that? I don't know because, I, like I give you an example, like I wrote that thread about the World Health Organization and the pandemic treaty and like I'm a minnow, you know what I mean? Like I don't have... I don't have national, international reach and like advertising slots. I just wrote this thing on Twitter mm. and, it, and it gets like 2 million impressions and it gets tens of thousands of retweets. And I'm like, well... That pretty much puts to bed the idea that people aren't interested. Like, there's plenty of people interested. Mm. So maybe the, it's the other side. It's the control of the information, not the desire for it. Yeah, I think it really is. Like, I mean, I don't know if you're aware of uh, of Pierce Morgan, um, who was, yeah, a very awful um, journalist slash, I don't know, what right. call him, talk show host in in okay. the UK. Um, and he's just like he's he's just an absolute outrage merchant. Like he, he's just uh, he he pretends like being a dick is being a good journalist, um, and like yeah. there's times where you know you have to be the, you have to be like a bit hardball about questions sometimes if you're interviewing politicians. But like like this guy had the the head of the the union that's on strike, the rail union that's on strike in in the UK uh-huh. at the minute, yeah. and spent yeah. like a few minutes like discussing his Twitter profile picture of of like a character from Thunderbirds. And it's just like, is this the state of journalism? So he used to be on like one of the mainstream shows, Good Morning Britain, right. um, that would yeah. be like one of the biggest ones in the UK. And mm. then he's moved over to a Murdoch run talk TV, like streaming show thing. And uh, yeah. um, a few weeks ago, the show by the end had 10,000 people watching, um, going from like a show that he would have had millions when he was on um, on sometimes on when he was on like Good Morning Britain like the mainstream show time, yeah. and now he's yeah. gone like and with along with like a Murdoch backed new platform being launched like bus like like bus uh, posters everywhere like huge like murals billboards 
uh-huh. 10,000 people. And I'm like, just laughing, wow. being like, <laughs> yeah. like one of my, like, like the recent podcasts that I did that was like, that blew up a bit, like two of them, two of them have more views than Piers Morgan. It's like really like well-known mainstream journalist has on right. his show. It's like, like it, it maybe, the, maybe me. the tide's turning, Josh, like maybe, maybe there's like a glimmer of hope. Yeah, I mean, but it's because he moved off of the mainstream. So, like, like it's proof yeah. that, like, people don't actually care about these people and their stupid opinions of, of bad things. It's just that, like, it's still, like, the convenience of the mainstream yeah. news and the sort of, like, faux legitimacy of them because they're on the TV that I think still gives yeah. them a lot of power. And they're also still the ones that drive. Like, we might, like, respond and say all these things, but they're still the ones that drive what the main stories are, unfortunately. Um, it's definitely the case. Like this is it's another centralization question, mm-hmm. right? but it's definitely the case that there's like a few, uh, you know, like really concentrated opinion leaders out there in the world, you know, like a, a, and not necessarily people, but platforms that are just like that is where people are getting their information or, you know, maybe confusing their information for their entertainment, but, you know, in the terms of TV, but like that's, it's not decentralized enough. Yeah. So um, then, so I mentioned the UN about these like big overarching like centralized structures, but obviously you've mentioned mm. this uh, WHO pandemic treaty, and right. it seems like uh, a power grab. Like most of the last two years has been, um, <laughs> we've just yeah I've watched in the UK like people just completely fine with the idea of bodily autonomy going out the window, um, and and the, just yeah just the right to assembly and all of these things like it was fine for that to disappear last year and the year before no one no one batted an eyelid like the the, the yeah. uk government tried to bring in the the vaccine passports the northern irish government did succeed very very briefly until it trashed the hospitality mm. industry and they immediately yeah. backtracked and and i watched them try to do this and all of these people say nothing and then I see Tory fascist dictatorship trending on Twitter every other day. And I'm like, you people were fine with this. Like, you were absolutely yeah. fine with this. Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. Just because you like Come the on, reason yeah. doesn't mean it's a good idea to take away the rights. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, which brings us nicely to the WHO pandemic treaty. So do you want to tell uh-huh. tell people what, like, what that is and, and why some people were so freaked out about it? Yeah. So, um, so obviously the, the WHO guide a lot of, um, you know, health decisions and health policy around the world. Now, um, I'm gonna, just going to, I, I want to say this up front, right? So I'm not a scholar of international law and the way the decisions that are made at the WHO impact different countries is quite nuanced, right? It depends on their legal structure and how all those sorts of things work. But if you just set that whole argument aside, because a lot of people are talking about whether anything the WHO does is binding, mm. in effect, it is. Like, whatever they do, the nations of the world and, and you know, the authorities of the governments around the world, that they follow, right? Mm-hmm. So what was once a year, the, the um, it's called the World Health Assembly, which is like the governing body of the World Health Organisation. They have an annual meeting. They go sit down in, uh, in Geneva and they all talk about well, what are we going to do in the next year and what are the things we're progressing from last year and all that sort of stuff, right? So there were some proposals before uh, WHA 75, which is the one that we've just recently had, um, that included two entirely separate things that were kind of confused by a lot in um, social media circles and in journalism circles. But there were two things going before this most recent assembly that I was really worried about. The first was 
we already have international health regulations. They've been around for quite some time now, and um, they guide a lot of the ways that, um, you know, WHO make declarations, make decisions, give guidance, all that sort of stuff, and then how that is implemented in the countries that are signatories to this um, IHR, international health regulations, right? So one of the things that was going to be really critical at the most recent meeting of the World Health Assembly was a um, number of proposed amendments to the existing international health regulations. That was kind of sponsored by the US. They were the ones pushing that. That was co-sponsored by other countries, but there were, there were 13 of those that they were putting up. At the same time, there's this discussion going on about um, the creation of what can, in plain terms, just be called a pandemic treaty. Um, the WHO have used different words for it, you know, and they use things like, they'll say things like, some other binding agreement or some other um, lawful instrument or things of that nature. But broadly speaking, it's a pandemic treaty. And it's, an, it's a, a proposal under development to give the WHO a lot more power and control in the event that we have another pandemic, something like uh, the COVID-19 thing that we've had over the last couple of years, right? Um, I had some like really huge concerns with this idea. So I probably banged the drum enough. Everyone knows I'm not too happy about this idea of centralisation. WHO is like a is like a perfect example of this, right? Where it, virtually every government around the world jumped when they said jump in relation to this last, you know, COVID nineteen situation. If all of this pandemic treaty that's being proposed goes through, this is uh, uh, this isn't my um, artistic language of it. This is the WHO's language. They, they really want to be solidified as the um, coordinating and governing body, right, in, in relation to a pandemic, right? So, um, and they would also end up with the power to declare a pandemic. And they use the term right now, uh, public health emergency of international concern, which ironically, if you just like P-H-E-I-C on a screen says fake, but uh, that's, just, <laughs> that's just how I would pronounce it. I'm not saying it is, just saying it's how I pronounce it, right? But um, so at the moment, you've got a situation, and, and, and this proposal strengthens it even further, where the WHO would be the ones to declare one of these situations exists and then decide the measures that get taken. Uh, that, to me, is like a huge concern because it's so much power concentrated in one place, firstly. Secondly, their track record of getting these things perfectly right is not completely sparkling and spotless, right? Like, you know... Uh, they made some recommendations in this last one that were kind of like contrary to my logical ideas about how we could respond to it, right? And, you know, as we've seen, it's caused like quite a bit of chaos around the world. Uh, so I guess that's the background that, you know, there were these there were these things going up to be put before WHA 75, the, the, the World Health Assembly, um, to talk about and for all the countries. So there's like 193, I'm going to say, member countries Right, so it's basically the whole world in there, mm -hmm. and they vote on uh, what things are the WHO going to do next. And you know, you could summarise what was being put up as like more power centralised at the WHO, more funding for the WHO, and more control over information, which is like a really big deal. And I'm sure we'll get into that. But let me pause again. Yeah, I'm just running through some of the things that they're um, they're being proposed in this while you, while you've been talking there. So it's interesting that they talk about. Um, the reduced risk posed by emerging diseases of zoonotic origin. Like they're not concerned about the increased risk of diseases that might have possibly been um, altered and engineered in a lab. 
Um, just just the mm. naturally occurring <laughs> ones. They're the ones that we need to worry about. It really weirds me out, man, that no one, no one is curious anymore. It's like, you remember, you know this thing that's trashed the world for two years. Like, do you care where we got it? Like, at all? Does that seem like an issue? Or like, who yeah. knew about it when? And all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Know? It's like, and like the fact that when, so like, say, say like Devil's Advocate, like it wasn't leaked from a lab, right? Um, I, I mean, Jerry Markson's book, What Really Happened in Wuhan, um, just convinced me that the, the the chances of it not having been from that lab very slim, very very slim. I mean, it see like when when you read the evidence as she lays it out, you just go so so. Why are we not arresting people? Um, and yeah. She, yeah, she's actually a fellow fellow uh, fellow Australian. Um, uh-huh. She's a fantastic journalist. Like her, I can't recommend that book highly enough. And. If she hadn't gone and got I pregnant, I think there were a I'd few very motivated Australians, which uh, it might have come from the the way the um, the response was dished out here, which was you know, I'd, I'd say I'd say we're in the you know the top five down here for um, countries that went from like liberal democratic values down to having things stuffed down our throats like quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, Australia went went hard and fast with it. I mean, then, but but yeah, so then you just wonder, it's like. Because they tested like all the bats and all the pangolins like in the area, and there was no no virus in them. It's like, hang on. So you're telling me this like widely like spreading virus amongst like the animal population that jumped to humans has no like it's not in any of the animals. You're telling me it came from. Uh, and that, that's before you get to like the before you get to all the different research that they were conducting in in, um, in that the, the lab in Wuhan and the the lady who was involved in it and the missing records about. Um, the, mm. like experimentation on like bat coronavirus it's just like it just brings me back to that john stewart bit where he's like you know if there's an outbreak of of chocolatey goodness near hershey's pennsylvania it's just like <laughs> check the fucking chocolate factory like, <laughs> perfect <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um i forgot where i was going with this yeah <laughs> But uh, yeah, so w- would you like to talk a little bit more about what the World Health Organization are trying to do um, with this treaty and, and, and why they're kind of, why they, they're claiming it's necessary, basically? Yeah, so look, I mean, that basically the argument they run, which is logical, and I, you know, like this bit makes sense. They say, well, for example, an airborne virus is not going to respect a national border, right? So we need international cooperation to deal with these things. I can't poke any logic holes in that, right? Like, yeah, no problem. That that makes sense. Um, and the problem is that whole centralisation issue, but, um, you know, it, like who's in control of this thing? So I kind of started diving into that whole like, all right, so who are these people that make the decisions? And, you know, what are the incentives? Which, uh, you know, as I said before, I think like misaligned incentives are, responsible for most of the evils that are in front of us today on this earth you know like i think there are like a handful of people who are genuinely nefarious and capable of causing destruction Mm -hmm. but i don't actually think it's anywhere near a majority i don't think it's even like a, a big proportion i think there's like a handful of really powerful crafty people and a whole lot of people who just respond to natural incentives and over time behaviors end up aligning with incentives right 
So you've got this huge issue at WHO all around how their funding works. So it might surprise people to know that if you look at like the total amounts um, donated to the WHO in 2021, that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the second largest donor to the WHO. Number one's Germany. Number two is the WHO is uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and then all of the other countries follow behind that. So, yeah. if we're going to talk about a massive amount of influence coming from one place, how do we feel about the fact that the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is the second highest contributor to the WHO? And if you layer on top of that, someone who might be responsible for most of the money that sits in the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, who I'm sure has a lot of influence over how things work there, notwithstanding the fact that it's a charity and there's a board and all that stuff, right? Mm. One person is responsible for the vast majority of the money that's sitting in there and has a very strong ideology about vaccinations being the way in terms of dealing with a health crisis, which actually the you're allowed to challenge. Crisis is the, that's, that's the only option. That's the... the, the, like the how much, yeah. Josh, how much did you hear about like people making their immune systems robust? Yeah, I was thinking about. You this know last what I mean? Time. Like, yeah, like I was. I was that, that message was not delivered at all in any way, and there was no, there was no reason for it not to be like, you know, it was. It, I was just thinking about it. it was just like, look, before we even had the vaccine, and like, say, say it's like provided some level of protection, um, for for some people, it's like great, but like, why are we not? This comes out, and like it, anyone mentioned in the idea that vitamin D. Like the thing that's like good for your immune system might not be helpful at all whatsoever, and that's dangerous misinformation. What? Yeah. Like you just you know maybe try and like tell people to be a bit healthier. Like it's 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 so crazy that that wasn't just discussed and like early treatment. Like even if someone has the fucking flu, like a really mild yeah. flu, right? It's like bed rest, you know, fluids. Like we have a prescription, like even how, how, however like stupid and innocuous it is. And for this, there was nothing, zero, nada, no. zilch. Yeah. Stay yeah. at home until Stay you have to go to the hospital. House. Stay at home yeah. by yourself till you have to go to the hospital. That was the plan. And so, yeah, what? And and crazy. Yeah, it breaks my heart when you think about like people, like uh, say say you're like sixty five, maybe seventy. Like you're not allowed to go outside. You live by yourself. No one's allowed to visit you. And you just sat in your house and then you get sick and then you have to just stay there getting progressively more sick until you're so sick yeah. that you can barely breathe and have to go to the hospital. And then you get to Josh, the hospital. Let me, let me tell you, I'll tell you a personal story on this exact note, right? So I have a son who's um, just had his first birthday. Uh, my my mum, so his, his grandmother, right, uh, has some health problems. You know, she's had leukemia for a long time. She's been treated a couple of times for that. You know, it's been in various states of remission and whatever. But, you know, she's in her 60s. She's got some really serious health complications and she lives in a different state of Australia than I do. Mm. My son was 11 months old before he met his grandmother because of the restrictions we put in place around this in the name of COVID, right? And I'm real careful to say not because of COVID, because of the response to COVID, right? So you've got a scenario where people... Now, I'm, now I'm fortunate in the fact that Things have changed here now, and she's been able to come and meet him, and that's you know that's great, all that. But it very well could have been the case, and it was for other people that that some people missed moments in life in the name of like protecting everyone against this thing that like they never get back ever. 
It's like, why didn't we have any discussion at all about the trade-offs? That was not allowed. Yeah. And it's crazy. Then, yeah. And then to, to go back to your original point, then, like, I've got this, um, I was I had this chart up um, that I was sharing with everyone, hang up, still sharing it with you, that shows what you were saying about the top 20 contributors. It's like, why is a private organization, like, given three quarters of a billion to the World Health Organization? Like, what? All right. And in case everyone's not mad enough about this chart. Right? And that's in one year. That's not just, like, li- lifetime, like... Right, things. exactly. That's, and that's then let's if you go just a little bit below the surface, right? I'm just I'm pulling it up here so I don't I don't misquote anything. Give me one sec. So um why I didn't anticipate needing this on my screen already, I don't know, but here we are. That's all right. Um all right, so let's look at this, right? So you got Bill and Melinda Gates at uh, foundation at number two mm-hmm. but then if you go down to number six you've got the gavi alliance that yeah uh, the gavi alliance is another organization that promotes um mass vaccination and you know the biggest funder to the gavi alliance is bill and, the bill and melinda gates foundation right and they also put a lot of money into rotary who are at number like eight or nine on that list as well yeah so it's like if you dig into that list even a little bit deeper it's even worse than it looks on the surface and so you can make the argument, man, this this philanthropist is doing amazing things for society and giving a lot of money away. If you if you believe that um, the intentions are all good, or even if the intentions are good, that like his assessment of what should happen is correct, but that is a huge amount of influence to be concentrated in so few hands. Mm. It's concerning. It's concerning that Very. more people aren't like. And because we're not even saying that he has bad motivations. It's just like, should we not be a little bit skeptical of his motivations? Like, I mean, the- I don't, uh, I don't know the man, Josh. He might, he might think that what he's doing is, um, is, you know, worthy of a sainthood. I don't know, but, um, I disagree with his ideologies and they're being forced down my throat. And I'm sure I'm not the only one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's just the idea that, you, that he can't be wrong. Like that, this can't be wrong. Is 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 the thing that gets me. And it's like, look, international cooperation on on the topic of 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 anything is 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 theoretically a good idea. But when that body becomes too powerful, then it becomes impossible for the world to have nations trying different things, um, yeah, and making sovereign decisions. That the yeah that the bo- like if we go back to that like you know that idea about most people aren't you know inherently nefarious or evil they're just acting in alignment with their incentives right so if you work at the who and you go there and you work in good faith and you do your very best and you think that what you're doing there is good work naturally you try to increase your ability to do more of it Mm. you know and you and you and you you will not tend to do things that um, disrupt the funding model and you will try to get more funding and you'll try to get more power to do more of what it is that you think is good you know and i think that you know, the vast majority of the people who are working there probably think that they are doing good in the world, but it's got to the point where that beast is just too big and too heavily influenced by too few people to be safe for the world. Yeah. Well, um, that feels like a nice note, um, unfortunately, on which to leave things. Um, it's been a great chat and I wish we'd had time for more, but unfortunately I have a full work day ahead of me. Um, okay. <laughs> so I'm going to have to bounce, but um, Paul, it's been been a pleasure. I'd... I'd love to have you back on at some point. Um, 
and we'll uh, we'll chat more about how we're all fucked. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Josh. Yeah, let me sign off by saying this, man. Let me say this. Although everything I write seems to be like tarred with negativity and anger, I'm actually like an intensely optimistic and positive person. I just think that all these things need a big spotlight shined on them. So, you know, I'm doing my best to do that. Yeah. No, I, I find it the same. It's like, like the world's falling apart and I'm having the best year ever. It's like... <laughs> Bingo. There you go. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. I don't know. Man, I, feel... I live in a house by the beach with a beautiful wife and a healthy kid. Like, who could be happier? Sounds like a nice job, man. Although maybe not the lack <laughs> of sleep, but, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> it's a passing phase. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, fingers crossed, eventually. Yeah. Anyway, that's um, really want to thank you for your time, man. Um, everybody check out Critical Sway. I'll put the links in the description below. Um, there's some really interesting threads, not just on um, the stuff we've talked today, but there's uh, one about uh, that I hope we might get to, but we've kind of touched on the, the idea of impunity versus inc- accountability for our politicians, which is a really interesting read. And um, yeah, man, uh, yeah, enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, thanks, for, uh, thanks for chatting. Thanks, Josh. Much appreciated. Thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast. If you want to leave us a comment, that would be awesome. Please like, share, subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple, please leave us a review. Until next time, thanks for listening.